I've got probably eight things written down here. Wow. That I think okay. are teams that win. So the first one is when you hire these people, they're hired in their zone of genius, meaning it's right in the middle of what they're passionate about, what they want to learn about, what they're interested in, but also what they're good at. And it doesn't mean that they're the best when they get hired, but they have that drive to want to be the best, which leads to the next one, which is, you know, liberal Twitter is going to hate this, but they've got a certain level of hustle and they like to work hard and they're not leaving the office at, you know, 5.01 PM. They're usually there till 6.30 or 7. It's not even that they just have a certain level of hustle. It's that they have this desire to want to be the best. This is Limited Supply, the place for refreshingly real takes on what D2C is really like. We're your hosts, Nick and Moyes. Let's start talking about money. Get paid monthly and take a year off from running your Shopify business with OpenStore Drive. OpenStore's experts will handle everything, including your business's marketing, customer support, inventory, and more. Shopify businesses with more than 500K in yearly net sales qualify. Head to open.store slash limited for details. This is going to be season six, episode one. We're at Marketing Land in Austin recording live. We've got 30 minutes of content, and then we're going to reserve five minutes for Q&A. And we're going to start with my favorite segment. We did some uh, feedback on this segment, and it was very polarizing. 50% of people loved it, and 50% of people hated it. And it's called Guess That Company. I love playing with Nick because I like to uh, stump him. Um, and that's a ton of fun. Okay, but Nick, here we go. Okay, you ready for this Guess, uh, guess That Company? Yeah. Okay. So in 2000, Purina, which is the cat food company, spun out Energizer, okay? Okay. And then in 2015, this company was spun out of Energizer. Okay. Okay, so it used to be a part of Energizer. Energizer is the battery company. Got it. Okay, it's a personal care company. The market cap of the company is $2 billion. Okay. Um, And they have three big segments. A shaving segment, a sun and skin segment, and a feminine care segment. Okay. Their number one customer is Walmart, which does 22% of their revenue. Uh, $2 billion market cap company, flat over the last 12 months. Okay, ask me three questions first. Okay, so this spun out of a holding company that owns batteries, cat food, and this is the third company? Yeah, it was Purina in 2000 that spun out Energizer. Energizer spun out this business in 2015. So it's a pretty new business. Okay, feminine care, shaving, and what was the third one? Sun. Sun. And sun is the big one here. Okay. Well, uh, I shouldn't say sun is the big one. Sun is the tell. Is it called Avena? No. Man, I feel like I don't know any of these brand names. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you the name. Wait, does anyone else want to guess, actually, before we get there? Neutrogena. No. <laughs> Anybody else? Sun. No. Uh, sun, uh, this is a publicly traded business. That's the one other thing I'll add. It's publicly traded. Okay, their brands include Schick, Billy, Banana Boat, Playtex. Wasn't Billy bought by P&G? No, uh, it was bought by Edgewell. And oh. that's the company we're talking about. Oh. Uh, like, so Edgewell uh, has only been around since 2015. It's $2 billion market cap. Wow, company. only 2015? Only 2015. I, I thought, like, you know, the reason that I went with this company is because they made two big acquisitions recently. They bought Bulldog Skincare, which is like, they, they've been really investing in men's skincare products. So Bulldog, mm-hmm. Jack Black, Cremo. Do you know Cremo? No. Uh, it's a men's skincare company and Billy. So they bought Billy in 2021 for $300 million. Wow. Last, and like uh, the reason I chose this company is because they had to publicly disclose how much revenue Billy did last year. It was $75 million. Damn. So they paid $309 million uh, in cash. 
uh, and Billy did 75 million in sales. Doesn't sound terrible. Doesn't sound good. Yeah. Like 75 million, 300 million. Like that is not the, uh, that would not be the sales price. Did it say there EBITDA? Billy? Yeah. I'd be shocked if there was EBITDA, but it didn't say it. In 2020, they bought Cremo for $240 million cash, 56 million in sales in 2021. So they paid 4X top line. And then for Billy, they paid also a little bit more than 4X. Damn. And those are not the prices today. Like they've made two terrible decisions when it comes to acquisitions. At least they're on a roll. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, let's get past guess that business. <laughs> All right. What should we get into next? Oh, the, our agenda is teams that win, Amazon, uh, Prime Day, and a roll-up graveyard, and a landing page, uh, and landing pages. Let's get into teams that win. Okay. So teams that win. This is actually something that I got as a DM about. You know, what are what's the difference between working with teams that are winners? Yeah. Teams that win, that they do well, they hit their numbers. Versus teams that lose, teams that they have high churn from an employee, you know, employment standpoint, they don't hit their numbers, they fall apart, yeah, you know, whatever it is. So I've got probably eight things written down here wow. that I think okay. are teams that win. And this is coming from my experience at Sharma Brands where we haven't lost a single employee in four years. So I think we have a team that wins. All right. So the first one is when you hire these people. They're hired in their zone of genius, meaning it's right in the middle of what they're passionate about, what they want to learn about, what they're interested in, but also what they're good at. And it doesn't mean that they're the best when they get hired, but they have that drive to want to be the best, uh, which leads to the next one, which is, you know, liberal Twitter is going to hate this, but they've got a certain level of hustle and they like to work hard and they're not leaving the office at, you know, 5.01 PM. They're usually there till 6.30 or 7, but it's not even that they just have a certain level of hustle, it's that they have this desire to wanna be the best. Uh, Next one is an understanding that not everybody can get first place and some people are gonna suck. They just know that they don't wanna be the ones that suck. What does that mean? Meaning like, you know, if you go, I feel like there's so many environments where everybody just gets participation trophies. Yeah. And everybody should win and everybody should do well. Yeah. But that's just not how the world works. Sure. Next one is, when, and this is more specific to us, but you know, whenever we have like bad clients or bad experiences working with somebody or just a shitty moment, it's never that that's like the worst thing in the world. It's not the bottom. It's instead, it's a test of the system's readiness. So like how well can we react as a team or as a group? And also it's an opportunity to like get better or strengthen a muscle that's clearly pressing on something that's not a strong muscle. The other one is, you know, they're just, they're, these people are generally curious to see what can work. They're not defined by absolutes. So it's not like, oh, that's not going to work. We're not going to do that. It's not going to work. I don't think it's going to do well. It's more so like, okay, well, well, let's test it. Let's, let's do it. Let's see what happens. Sure. And then the last one, which I thought was interesting more for like more junior employees is that they have respect for technologies being used. So for example, we have a account manager and why are you laughing? I was smiling because that sounds like what management would say. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> they're like, fuck you. I'm not going to do all this work to change this, to change the technology we're using. I'm yeah. used to this. Yeah. I don't want to revolutionize our system because a 22-year-old just joined this company yeah. and is like, have you heard of this uh, software? Well, it's more so <laughs> that like the 22-year-olds are like, okay, so you guys are using Figma for design. I'm going to go spend the weekend learning about how to use Figma 
so I can better understand it in conversations okay. in other contexts. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I was yeah. smiling because I thought you meant like, they, you were using Photoshop and they're like, how about we use Figma? And you're like, no, respect yeah. what I already Back to your used. corner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, those are really good ones. Um, here's ones that I, I, I uh, thought about when we mentioned this. Uh, one is communication. What's really great is when teams can communicate. And I think the times that when I was running native and we did the worst job marketing was when we weren't all communicating really well. We weren't launching a new product and we weren't all on the same page. We we're launching a new scent. We weren't all on the same page. Like, you know, there were just issues where we didn't, the marketing side didn't communicate with the customer service side that didn't communicate with the operation side. And so we would drop a ball somewhere. We would be, we would run out of inventory. Yeah. We wouldn't launch a new scent on the time that we wanted to. And so I thought that really messed us up. Um, the other part was creativity. You mentioned this in terms of curiosity, and I think it's a little bit of the same thing, which is uh, partly a bias towards action, which is one of Amazon's famous you know, mottos, which is if, we, if you can do something or not do something and you're not sure which one is right, go do something. Mm -hmm. uh, creativity is really just like, let's try new things that make no sense. There are no sacred cows here. You know, one of the things that really put Native on the map when we were running it was we, and nobody, oh, like we, I never talked about this, is like our rosé scented deodorant, which was, I thought like a dumb idea, but like fun. We launched it, I remember, because there was this girl, we were in based in San Francisco, and there was this girl on our team who like was on a date with this guy in Napa on a Tuesday, like drinking wine. And I was like, wow, that's, and like, you know, she's like, I bought this big hat for this uh, day to go out. And I was like, that's the most basic thing I've ever heard. Um, we should, uh, you're going to go drink rosé on a Tuesday in Napa. I'm like, we should create a rosé scented deodorant. Like, yeah. That's where the idea came about. Cause this girl, this basic girl was going on a date in Napa. And I was like, uh, that's where, where that's when we launched it or why we launched it. We ra randomly ended up launching on June 21st. Cause that's when we got inventory and stuff. That's rosé day, right? It was the first day of summer actually. Oh. And I didn't even realize that. But what happened is that everyone else realized that. So all of a sudden, all these news publications started picking us up. We were in like Vogue, Good Morning America, The Today Show. We were in every publication that we've been reaching out to for the last year. Wow. And we were all in it in one day because we'd randomly launched this crazy scent that we thought was gonna be a terrible idea and it sold out in like 10 minutes. Wow. You know, really made me realize that creativity was the backbone of our business where we had to, be, we had to continually be creative. Uh, so I thought that was really helpful as well. Uh, the other thing I uh, that really uh, that I enjoyed when uh, I was running a business was there was this like team camaraderie. No one was like, "This is your problem. You dropped the ball here." It was like the business is out of stock on this scent. The business has this problem. That's my problem as much as it is yours because we're all in this together. Yeah. And the thing that we tried to avoid the most, well, there were two things. One was people without enthusiasm. Like the number one thing that I screened for when I was hiring was, are you excited about business? Are you excited about growing things? This is a small team. If you think your job is customer service because you're a customer service associate or a customer experience manager, that's crazy. There's there's very few of us. You need to be excited about the entire business. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other part was like toxic employees. I guess the things that, the other oh, thing that I'm trying to say is like, okay, you're looking for drama between you and somebody else. Yeah in a way where you're like, just fucking do this job. You know, I remember people would be like, this person's like, you know, not being helpful. I'm like, go fucking yell at them. Why are you telling me? <laughs> yeah. Go yell, get in their face. And so I was like, nobody should be a toxic employee. You should be able to talk to anybody. Like, you don't need to talk to me if you can solve the issue. Yeah, why are you bringing me else. into it? Yes. Yeah. And so we were trying to avoid toxic employees and people who have direct communications with their colleagues. Yeah, my favorite question is always, did you tell them that? Yeah. No. No, I came to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a real, I'm not your mom here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a real problem. Uh, so you have now lost a single employee in four years? No. We fired a couple. Yeah. No one's voluntarily left. 
Here's a weird question. Is that good or bad? Like, I, I know it's great. Cause I think like one, I think it just shows that people are generally excited or happy. Definitely. You know, I think there's definitely some element of like a key man risk at some point, you know, like if one person is our director of design for four years, what happens if she gets hit by a bus? Yeah. You know, like how does somebody step in right there? Yeah. I, I guess I mean more like, um, like, is there, I guess you're, you've hired a lot in the last four years though. So I, I would imagine there's a lot of new blood coming in and new ideas coming in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I liked a little bit of voluntary turnover, not because I like losing people, but it was it, it brought in fresh ideas into mm-hmm. executive roles where I was like, okay, our director of operations left, we brought in somebody new, and they had this new idea of this new way of thinking about something. And I was like, this is refreshing. Yeah. And so like, that type point. of turnover was nice. I, I, I like, I, I, you know, I didn't like it, but I also liked the idea that like we were going to have to work hard and someone was going to bring in new ideas at an upper level that would help me uh, think about the business in a new way. Yeah, good point. Okay. Anything else on that point? Uh, happy to chat more about it. No, let's go to the graveyard. Okay. Uh, so one, it was Amazon Prime Day, I think like a week ago. Did you get anything for the October Prime Day? I, I looked. I looked twice. Yeah. I couldn't find anything. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, do you go to like a wire cutter or like the Wall Street Journal? They'll all do these articles where they're like, these are the best. No, I probably should have though. Yeah. That's actually, yeah, I'm an idiot. I should have gone there. I wonder how people like get on there. I'm like, these are great ways to advertise your prime day sale. Cause everyone's in a shopping mood or you're, yeah. if you're go if you're reading this article, you're thinking about buying something and you're like, I'm looking for things to buy. <laughs> yeah. uh, so help me Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, I one of my friends works at an Amazon agency, so I talked to him and I was like, well, how was this Prime Day? And he's like, well, the July Prime Day is far, far larger than this Prime Day. Prime Day in October is like a regular, a Monday is Amazon's best day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's like, Prime Mondays Day- Mondays in general? Mondays in general wow, are the best days. Why. Which is surprising to me too. Yeah. I asked him that and I was like, that, uh, like, I just saw him a couple days ago and I was like, how could it be Mondays? I thought it would be Saturday or Sunday where you're sitting at home yeah. and like going through things at home and being like, oh, I need more laundry detergent. Yeah, I feel like generally in, in e-com it's like Thursday. That's interesting. Uh, I, uh, well, I thought it was, the, I thought it'd be, well, for native, it was the weekend. And so anyway, I talked to him about it and he's like, yeah, Monday, he's like, I, his uh, hypothesis was people are back at work. They don't want to actually be doing any work. So they're on Amazon shopping. But yeah, in any sure. case, he was like on average brands. Uh, it was like a Monday, but a little bit of a, it was like a very good Monday. So on average, he saw brands doing two to four X their revenue, two to four X their top line on an ordinary day on an October prime day. Wow. And so I wonder if most people hit that level or if they saw something extraordinary or something terrible. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, I just that that was just him, and he's an, he runs an agency that you know probably has forty or fifty clients. I did some other research, and uh, the top categories. Well, one this October Prime Day was fifty percent bigger than last October Prime Day, which goes against wow. everything you would think about with macroeconomics. Yeah, um, the top categories were apparel, beauty, home, and toys, which makes sense leading into uh, home and toys, especially. Going yeah, into, well, apparel was number one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then, uh, which is crazy, Amazon fashion is just blown up out of nowhere. You can buy Birkins now on Amazon.com. Yeah. Which is crazy. It's a yeah. $50,000 purse on Amazon. Oh, you mean the, oh, you mean Hermes Birkin bags? Yeah. Wow. Are you selling them? Are you selling fake ones on there? <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> um, and, uh, and for some reason also, Crest White Strips, every like yeah. Black Friday, every yeah. Amazon Prime Day, it's like yeah. the number one, number two product. Yeah. It's nuts. When uh, when I was at PNG, uh, PNG told me that like internally they give out a Nobel Prize for innovation. 
uh, and they've only given it out eight times in the hundred year history of their wow. business. And the last time they gave it out was to the guy who invented Crest White Strips. Because wow. like, this revolutionized teeth, teeth whitening is genuine innovation. Like, you know, does that guy get a royalty or he, he's just no, an employee? I'm, yeah, no, he, I'm sure he's, well, I'm not sure, but I would guess he's just an employee. Yeah. There's a great scene in The Wire where like um, these guys are like, man, the guy who invented, they're eating like uh, McDonald's chicken nuggets. And they're like, the guy who invented this is rich. And the, there's another guy who's like, you think Ronald McDonald was like, let me sign my clowny ass name on a check for you? He's like, no, go sit in the basement and create the next uh, McNugget. Yeah. I'm going to be rich. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not, I doubt he is, but it is still a major achievement. Yeah. Um, so one thought I had last night was um, Amazon Prime Day is a massive thing every year. Everybody yeah. knows about it now. There's... Um, is it Singles Day in China for yeah. Alibaba? Yeah, which is far larger than Prime Day, but like the the inspiration for Prime Day. Is yeah. When will Target, Walmart, Kroger, Whole Foods, and Costco have their own annual shopping day? Why haven't they done that? It's a little shocking that they're not taking advantage of this. Uh, they or can like do the it idea of in it. person online. I was thinking if it was Costco, you know how they have the food samples every three aisles? Yeah. They could have food samples every aisle. Yeah, on that day because it'd yeah. be so busy. I think the hard part, like, you know, with Amazon, what happens is when you're when Amazon's like, look, we're launching Prime Day, sellers who own the merchandise and who are setting the sales price are the ones who are like, we're going to discount it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you were selling, uh, you know, I was selling a pair of shoes. If I'm Allbirds and I'm selling a pair of shoes for $100 on Amazon, on Prime Day, I can say I'm going to sell them for $60. Mm-hmm. The hard part is Walmart is the owner of the merchandise. They own the inventory. And so it's hard for them. Like, they're going to take a huge loss. I see. Instead of Allbirds taking the huge loss, they're going to take a huge loss. But the reality is they should go to their biggest suppliers and be like, look, we're launching Walmart Day. Yeah. Who's ready to give us 30% off? You're going to be in our flyer. Like, there's this... um, If you've been to a Walmart, there's an aisle called Action Alley where they just have everything on pallets. And it sells really well. Look, it was actually a big mistake. This guy was just storing a pallet inside of a Walmart, like one of the Walmart employees, and people would just come up and start picking stuff off of oh, it. Wow. And they're like, holy shit, this pallet is doing better revenue than anywhere else in the store. So they created Action Alley. Uh, you know, you will be in Action Alley if you're willing to give us a discount for yeah. Walmart Day or Walmart Week. Totally. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that there's a little bit of a heavier lift for Walmart to do this. But, you know, they've had five years to get their act together. And it's such a massive day for Amazon and such good PR. Yeah, I mean, um, they could probably also do it with the .com because now they have a very Amazon-like .com where they drop ship stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think a .com is really – because if Walmart was like, hey, we're offering discounts on Walmart.com, I'd be like, what? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm not going to that website. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think that they could. I think it would be a harder lift than if they did it in-store. And they're mm-hmm. like, let us use the advantage we have, which is in st- we can drive in-store sales. Yeah. We can get cash registers full. We can make the store a really exciting experience. And if you're in our store to buy cheap Allbirds for $60, maybe you're going to go buy a bunch of other stuff as well. So there, it won't just be Prime Day sales or like Walmart Day sales. Right. They'll be able to cross-sell other products. Yeah, good point. Um, anyway, okay, let's move on to one other thing, which is the roll-up graveyard. You know, roll-ups in Amazon were the hottest thing ever in 2020, 2021. I remember everyone wanted to launch one, and it seemed like most people did launch one. Actually. It was also all the guys that were like, yeah, bro, I'm going to start a holding company, and then I'm going to acquire some brands, and we're going <laughs> to scale this thing. Yeah, uh, that's, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> yeah. And for a long time, they looked like geniuses. 
you know, they were basically like, I understood the model, which was, look, we're buying a business at 4X EBITDA. But if we go public, if this, if we get large enough and we're, we can go public, we can go public at 15, 25X EBITDA. So there's just a valuation multiple that we can arbitrage here and make a fortune. And it looked like it was working. And like, it wasn't just, it didn't look like it was working across the guys who were going like this across yeah. the, who's that guy, Ty Lopez. It wasn't just the Ty Lopez's of the world that thought it was working. It was like smart money. You yeah. Know, Apollo, Silver Lake, Black, all of these guys were like, we're going to invest. And not just like, you know, a little bit of, we're not putting in a little bit of money in it. We're putting billions of dollars behind this. Yeah. And now uh, it looks like it was a huge mistake. Thrasio is on the verge of going bankrupt. They've raised $3.4 billion between debt and equity. Uh, the last time they raised money, they were valued at somewhere between $5 and $10 billion. Jesus. There's another business called uh, Perch. Do you know Perch? I've heard of it. They've raised $900 million. Uh, they're looking for an exit. Uh, be, like Apollo, who's the backer, is like, somebody please buy this business because it's going nowhere. Uh, Bentiago Group, which I'd never heard of until I was doing research for this, they've raised $325 million. They just went bankrupt. I remember having dinner with a guy who started Thrasio once, and he's like, uh, we acquired this brand called Agent Orange, which is like a pet odor eliminator. Mm -hmm. And he's like, we bought it and it was doing 2 million in revenue. And now it's doing 40 million in revenue on Amazon. And so he's like, look, uh, one out of every 10 businesses become massive hits. One out of every 10 businesses go to nothing and the others sort of stay in the middle. And that's how this business is going to work. And it sounded like a model. Like when I heard it, I was like, that sounds great. I yeah. want in. I didn't invest or anything, but I was like, that sounds like it's going to work. Why are all these businesses going bankrupt? Why are, why is Amazon aggregators not working? From my conversations with a few different aggregators, the number one thing that founders bring to the table that these guys don't have is creativity and the ability to set themselves apart with brands. So I actually talked to one two days ago. Some billionaire founded the company after selling two companies for multi-billion dollars. He found an Amazon aggregator? Uh, basically like a brand aggregator. Okay. Um, and most of their companies are hovering between three to probably $15 million. Okay. And they believe that they can pretty confidently like triple or quadruple it year over year. Does his name rhyme with Reith Raboy? No. <laughs> Different one. Okay. But, you know, even, even looking at some of those brands, I feel like in general, a lot of these brands are like, they're brands that didn't have that tier one shot anyways. Yeah. They ended up being like tier two or tier, tier three type of brands. Maybe they've appeared on Shark Tank. Maybe they had like a, yeah. a cool pop. They, they were a good Kickstarter business at one point, but now they're just playing the same game of Facebook ads and you know a landing page and an offer, and they're trying to make it work, but there's no excitement or no creativity there. I mean, I've talked to them because they've tried to work with us and say like, we need to add the excitement to the brands, or we need to figure out how to bring the brands back to life. Whereas this thing sells, you know, like, rugs and is making $4 million a year, we need to get this thing to 40 for this investment to pay off. Are they primarily Amazon businesses or primarily? Generally like half and half. Some are like, we have a big Amazon business. Yeah. We're trying to grow on direct to consumer. Others are like, we're primarily direct to consumer. We've added Amazon as a channel. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think the cardinal sin that they made, uh, these aggregators is primarily buying businesses at the top of the market. Like, yeah. uh, you know, you bought a business in 2021. It, oh, you, you were probably overpaying for multiple reasons. One is the multiples were higher then. Two is interest rates were zero. So you were like, money is free. And three is that brand was already, already had the tailwinds of COVID behind it. Yeah. And now it has the headwinds of a much harder economy. Yeah. So they made a cardinal sin of mistiming the business. 
And like, um, you know, in private equity, there's all these vintages where you like, let's say you're investing in a VC fund. You want to make investments over the course of 10 years so that it doesn't really matter what economics you see every economic cycle. Mm -hmm. and You're a little bit diversified when it comes to time. These guys were like, let's spend three billion dollars at the top of the market and overpay for businesses. Yeah, I think the other cardinal sin they made was uh, and this is something that Warren Buffett says. He's like, look, I buy a lot of businesses. They never have any any synergies between them. These guys bought businesses thinking that there were going to be synergies. They're like, great, we're going to be able to combine operation. One guy's going to run Facebook ads and Amazon ads for Agent Orange, the rug company and the shoe company. And the reality is that is not possible. Like yeah. those are very different skill sets, even though they're all marketing and they're all Facebook ads. Yeah. The other thought I had kind of related to that was whoever built these businesses, they built it in an Excel model thinking that, oh, we can acquire three brands. We'll simplify supply chain, which is impossible if you have a rug company, a shoe company and something else. I think they were banking on that to work. It just it's impossible to do it cuz like you said, you need more bodies. You need more bodies per brand for it to actually do well. Want to take time off from running your current Shopify business to build your next Shopify business? When you join OpenStore Drive, you can take 12 months off to pursue other ventures while still getting paid. You'll receive guaranteed monthly payments for a year, and OpenStore will manage everything including your business's marketing, customer support, inventory, and more. Shopify businesses with more than $500,000 in yearly net sales qualify. Head to open.store slash limited for details. All right. So every two weeks, I've been doing this thing called the landing page roast. So I tell people, and anybody here can join. It's just nick.co slash roast. You just fill in your info. And um, you've been there. I've roasted your page. And so... um, So basically what we do is like people fill out a form, they put their landing page in the form, and then I spend about an hour on Fridays around 12 o'clock going through and just roast them as fast as I can. Uh, You know, what I've realized is most people build, I mean, this is general too, most people build landing pages for three reasons or three purposes. One is like they want to educate somebody on a weird, expensive, out of the ordinary product. In that case, they'll use like a listicle or a collections page or a click-through page. The second is they want to just sell somebody right away. They'll usually have some uh, a hero product or a bundle. And then the third is like to collect first party data, email, phone number, so that you can hit them later. And, you know, I've got this whole list of things that every page should include. But the main one is answering, you know, the five main questions, the what is it? How does it work? Why does it exist? How does it compare? And then what I call the how the fuck questions. How the fuck is this so expensive? Yeah. How the fuck is this going to get to my door? Yeah. Uh, how the fuck can you justify the price? And these are things that people are often One and asking. three sound like a lot alike. <laughs> yeah, they are. <laughs> um, the other one is like, you know, how the fuck is this going to do what it claims, yeah. which is a big one. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I went through and I thought about what are the 10 things that are the most common misses across all these pages that we look at and roast live on yeah. Zoom. And so uh, I'll just go through them. So the first one is high quality visuals. So good photography, uh, if you're selling a supplement or, or something that has clinical strength, maybe infographics. Uh, if you're selling apparel, you have good lifestyle imagery or actual customers wearing the product. Yeah. Second one is clarity of offerings and the pricing. So, you know, is it easy to understand what comes in the box? Is it easy to see what the discount is? If there's a discount there, does it auto apply when I go to the next step yeah. or do I have to remember the code? 
The next one is uh, clear and concise CTAs. So basically CTAs that catch your eye just visually, not having like a massive box with tiny text or vice versa. And also like fun CTAs, you know, is it just learn more every two sections or does it say, you know, pick my color or choose my fabric or get 15% off, like something that's more enticing to get the click. Uh, the fourth one is to prioritize benefit-driven content. So, you know, when, we, when we're when we drinking our Kool-Aid, what's so funny? <laughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking of a CTA that said, give your money to me. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good one. Let's yeah. just be real here. <laughs> yeah. I would like to test that. I Open my would actually do well. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Anyway, that's what that's I was thinking good. about what you said. Um, so benefits-driven content. So, like, you know, when we're drinking Kool-Aid, we're thinking, oh, it's got clinical strength. It's time release supplement, but like that makes no sense to the end consumer. And so I always think of this conveyor belt of a value prop getting filtered through somebody who doesn't care about your product. Yeah. And then how do you give a benefit that cares? So instead of, you know, it's got this ingredient, it's like, well, your hair is actually going to grow stronger. Yeah. And yeah, that's it for that. Oh, and then also showing the benefits in context. So for example, if you're selling Axe body spray, you know, instead of just a white background with the deodorant at the top, it's like some guy surrounded by girls yeah. because he smells so good. Like selling the context more so than just the product itself. You know, highlighting positive reviews and social proof, uh, displaying special offers, strikeouts, contrasting colors, repeating that offer multiple times on the page, maintaining concise and readable copy. So I always think there's three in my head whenever I write copy. I think I'm going to go present this copy to a panel of judges. And there's three judges there. One is my mom. One is somebody who's just wasted, two, three drinks in, you know, slurring their words. Yeah. They've got to be able to understand it. And the third is a third grader. And if those three people can understand what the copy is, then I, I would claim it a good copy. The next one is to optimize design and space. There's a lot of times where we'll pull up a page and there's just massive boxes of white, white space. And it's like between sections and, you know, especially above the fold, I call above the fold, that's oceanfront real estate. Yeah. And if you're wasting spot, uh, space there, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. Second to last one is minimizing clicks. You know, every time you have to click between a page, you're losing yeah. the opportunity to sell. And the last one is to clearly differentiate product from competitors. So, you know, one is like the tactical differences. So this cookware is actually made differently. The second one is the lifestyle. So like, you know, yeah, our cookware is actually used by real chefs, not by, you know, people who want like a cute little home. Okay, I'm not going to ask you who the worst landing pages you've seen are. Who's the best landing page? Like, what's a landing page where you're like, wow, they're hitting seven of these out of the park, and uh, I want to buy this item? One of my favorites is probably there's this uh, flossing brand called Flouse. Yeah. Although we made that page. They just raised $2 million. <laughs> yeah. But if you go to their site, yeah. I think it's goflouse.com or something, and you click to their PDP, they've made their PDP our landing page. Because wow, it converted okay, gotcha. so well. And it okay. hits all these points very well. Okay. Um, that's interesting. Okay, yeah. I'm surprised that you didn't have like uh, more about social proof on there. But I, I think we've talked about that in the past about these things. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, all of that makes a, a ton of sense. Um, what are what are most brands missing? Like, is it photography that people like? What's yeah, the... it's, it's a lot of this. It's like photography is, is a huge one. Yeah. Which I think people like, you know, if you put yourself in the shoes of you worked on this product for a year Every day you wake up, you stare at the computer and you look at this thing all day. Yeah. It, it makes some sense as to why people don't think about that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, photography is huge. 
I think the, the benefits versus value props is probably the biggest one that I call out. I think social proof and reviews is another one. Yeah. Like, you know, you're selling a supplement or you're selling a bed frame yeah. and you have nothing about, you know, does this work? How does it feel, et cetera? And then copy is the other one. Copy gets very boring uh, just because, sure. again, like the people that are making these pages have been drinking the Kool-Aid. You know what I think is underestimated is delivery times uh, everywhere. Oh, I think that, like, uh, you know, Amazon has done such a good job of training people that package, like, you know, 50% of packages on Amazon now are arriving same day or within one day. Yeah. Within one day. Forget about two days. It's now one day. I ordered stuff yesterday to my Airbnb here. Yeah. It's arriving right now. Yeah, it's crazy. And so I think that like, um, a lot of people are not putting in when to expect the package. And yeah. I'm not sure if it, like, you know, it's hard because sometimes, hey, you're shipping this thing from China and you shouldn't expect it for 15 days. So yeah. you probably don't want to add that versus, okay, it's going to arrive in two to five business days and you do want to add it. I'm not sure what the right answer is, uh, like when when to add it and when you shouldn't. But I think more and more that's becoming really important. And that's something that brands haven't paid attention to just yet. <laughs> yeah, that just brought a fun thought. So um, with Long Weekend, what yeah. we did was, I think another piece of underused real estate is the shipping names when you're in checkout. Yeah. So, you know, typically it's like standard shipping three to five days, priority shipping one to two days Yeah. and then overnight. Yeah. And so we have, we have standard and two day. Yeah. Which I think standard pretty much is two day. But, uh, you know, instead of calling it standard shipping, I wrote the, the shipping name is now the, uh, the paid one is easy breezy shipping in parentheses ships within 24 hours delivers in three to five days. $7.99. $7.99. And then if you hit the cart threshold, it says like VIP voyage, you know, ships within 12 hours, arrives in one to two days. Wow. Okay. And, um, you know, I can't quantify the, sure. the help, but I'm sure it helps. Yeah. Yeah. Albert says something similar where they say fast, fast-ish, fastest. Oh, that's good. Uh, which I thought was really good as well. Yeah. All right. Let's turn over to Q&A because I know we only have five minutes left. Hey, thanks, guys. Awesome work. Second best podcast that I know. <laughs> um, you mentioned Birkin bags on Amazon, and you also talked about Walmart a bunch. And I'd love to get your opinion on how do you feel about a premium brand selling on on Walmart? Where you know where does where does the line you know what because it's such a massive channel. If you owned a premium brand, or it doesn't have to be luxury but premium, how would you think about Walmart. Uh, great question. I, th- uh, I think Walmart is the most unique out of all other retailers. You know, if you ask me about Amazon uh, and Costco, I'd say those are utilities. It's like having plumbing going to your house and there's no brand denigration if you go into those stores. Uh, there's this famous case of Costco asking P&G for SK2, which is their luxury beauty brand that sells at, you know, a countertop at Bloomingdale's. And P&G was like, no, we're not going to give this to you. It's a luxury brand. It's not for Costco. And uh, Costco was like, okay, great. We're going to get rid of all Gillette products as well. And then P&G was like, okay, you can have SK2. We'll deliver it tomorrow. Um, and so I, I think that like uh, Costco and Amazon are, uni- are cases where there's no brand integration. I think Walmart is really, really difficult uh, for two reasons. One is premium brands don't turn well at Walmart. It's just a very different customer. So I think uh, for, not from a brand perception perspective, but from a brand sales perspective, it's it's hard to be a premium brand and turn well at Walmart because Walmart customers are generally more price conscious than Target customers or Costco customers. 
I think the reality though is that the channel is too large for you to ignore when you get to a certain size. Like, look, if you're not gonna do it and you're gonna sell your business at some point, that's great. There's meat on the bone for the buyer and that buyer is gonna go to Walmart at some point. Method famously would never shop, it would never sell at Walmart because they're like, this hurts our brand. Guess what? S.E. Johnson bought the company, now sells at Walmart. Uh, I think that at some point, the size of Walmart, the scale is just too big to not be there, even if it hurts your brand. There's 1,800, there's 2,000 uh, targets in the world. There's 4,400 Walmarts in the world, or in the United States, I should say. Like Walmart is just too big of a company to ignore at a certain level. It's probably the last retailer I'd get to if I were, uh, you know, let's say I was a cooking brand. I would, I would certainly get into Target and Costco before I hit Walmart, but at some point, if you don't do it, the guy who sees your company and is like, I can maximize value out of this company will take it to Walmart and they're gonna uh, squeeze that lemon for three years and get a lot of juice out of it. Okay, next question. Do you guys have any thoughts on um, the buy with Prime integration on the Amazon side and uh, D2C site and the effectiveness of it for the brands you've worked with? We've used it with a couple brands and just seen some somewhat of a conversion lift. Uh, we've used it, we've been using it on Hook's landing pages a good amount, like clients have asked to make a second version of the page where we integrate the button in. You know, there's definitely some limitations though, like you can't, uh, like we tried to do it for Jolie, but you can't subscribe to the filter through Buy With Prime. And we tried to do it for another brand and you can't get multiple items in the cart at the same time. So it's a very single skew order which kind of sucks. Like if you're normally selling, you know, three deodorants on your site, here you can sell one. But I think it's, uh, you know, it's just another, it's another tool or another feature. I think it's worth testing probably. Um, yeah, what about you? I this think they've changed that. You can only buy one product with Buy With Prime now. I think now you can buy multiple products oh. with a Buy With Prime. Uh, but like, I, I think um, like anything, it's super early on and probably maybe break even right now. I think two years from now, when customers have gotten used to it and they understand what buy, what buy with Prime means, that it'll be faster shipping. They won't have to put in their information. It'll be a lot easier. Just like with ShopPay. Like ShopPay, everyone was like, what the hell is this? And now people are like, okay, I've seen this before, including myself. I, first time I saw it, I was like, what is going on here? Yeah. Um, so I think that like the investment, like early birds won't get any benefit, like we'll get some benefit, but I think two years from now, everyone will have it. It's kind of like a firm, like a firm spent yeah. million, tens of millions of dollars advertising the Affirm logo. And I think if they do that, then you know it'll have the same effect. Yeah. Hi. So um, right now our brand that we're working on, Light Slacker, we're a beauty brand, which is traditionally done really, really well in the Amazon space. We're trying to understand if we should go into Amazon because we can pretty much understand that the majority of our customers would probably rather go to Amazon than our site. So we're trying to understand it's, it's a big market. We should be in there. How, what, what things should we keep top of mind to make sure that people are still trying to come back to our site without discounting heavily? Uh, yeah, I think like uh, having innovation on your site first. New sense, I don't know what you're making, new products first on your website. I think in, that's good for a few reasons. One is, let's say you're launching a face wash and that like, you're, you know, your face cream's already on Amazon, you're launching a face wash. You're gonna want customer feedback that isn't 12 negative one-star reviews on Amazon. You're gonna want... 12 one-star reviews that contact you and say, hey, I don't like this face wash because it dries my skin, it smells spoiled, uh, the, the component isn't a good component. And so I think that like uh, that type of innovation should start on your website before it hits Amazon. You wanna sell on, e even if you, I'm not sure if you have or have not launched on Amazon yet, 
If I were selling on Amazon, I'd be like, great. I've gotten all of the wrinkles out of my product. I understand repeat purchase rate. I understand what, I, I have enough consumers that I can communicate with on a regular basis that I can lose a communication channel. I can lose my understanding of repeat purchase rate once I'm on Amazon because I understand it so well. And like, you know, I'm just making it so that the business that I already understand, I'm growing easily on Amazon. Not, I'm trying to understand who my customer is. I'm trying to fix the problems in my business. I would not launch into Amazon or on Amazon until I'd solve those issues. Yeah, the only other thing I'd add is um, back when I was at Hintwater, we kind of did a, the, the what you were saying. Like we put our best flavors there and then all of the other, you know, 22 flavors were sold on the site and that brought people to the site. We had better competing deals for new customers only. And, you know, if people wanted to, for example, buy one, a single case of water, they'd go to Amazon because they would didn't have to pay for shipping. Uh, if they wanted to buy three cases, it'd be a better deal to buy with us. If they wanted to subscribe, it'd be a better deal to buy with us. Uh, and so I think you can, can you can create some sort of like, you know, push and pull where there's some advantages if you're a certain type of customer and vice versa. OK, fantastic. Uh, that's all the time we've got. Really appreciate you guys joining us. Thanks so much for joining the Second Best Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time to cut through the noise in CPG, retail and e-commerce. And if you enjoyed this episode, then why not share it with a friend? And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you don't miss the next one.